Welcome to the Political Economy Podcast. I'm your host, Jim Pethokoukas of the American Enterprise Institute. Each week, I feature a lively conversation with experts on some of the most important economic and policy questions of our time. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider rating and reviewing it on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Stitcher. Ratings and reviews really help with the podcast visibility, and I always appreciate the feedback. Thanks, and on to the show. Last year, Facebook rebranded itself as Meta, signaling its shift from traditional social media to a big bet on the so-called metaverse. This network of 3D online spaces is accessed through virtual reality headsets like Meta's Oculus and promises to revolutionize internet communications. But is there substance behind the hype or is the metaverse just a fad? And if virtual reality worlds are here to stay, what do policymakers need to know about them? To answer those questions, I brought Mark Jamison back on the podcast. Mark is the director of the Public Utility Research Center at the University of Florida's Warrington College of Business and a non-resident senior fellow here at the American Enterprise Institute. Over the past several months, Mark has been writing about the growth of the metaverse along with the challenges it faces and the policy responses Washington should consider. Mark, welcome back to the podcast. Well, thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. Is the metaverse right now, is it one place or is it many places? Well, right now it's still evolving and it's evolving as many places and probably will stay that way. So we have people who are doing things in just some game platforms. We have people who are in the kind of Decentraland platforms. So it's it's a lot of different places that, that somewhat interconnect and that the way that they interact with each other is going to evolve over time. Facebook seems to be making a big bet on the metaverse, even renaming the company. But this is bigger than just Facebook, right? No, no. Facebook um, is, is a big player in terms of the devices the, uh, the, the people will have for getting into the metaverse. But right now, it's not that big of a space in the metaverse. So what can you do there right now? And what do you think you could do there five years from now? Well, there are a lot of things you can do right now. So, for example, Snoop Dogg has uh, purchased some land, some digital land in the metaverse, and he's going to put on concerts there. And so people can go to that space and listen in to the things that he might be doing. So you could do that. You can play games in the metaverse. You can have meetings. Um, I've got a group of that I call a metaverse think tank, and we meet in the metaverse and talk about different issues. So you can do that. You can engage in financial transactions. You can hire consultants and, and be a consultant yourself, helping people build things in this digital metaverse space. So more and more, anything that you want to try and do in the physical world, if you will, you can start doing it in the metaverse as well. And that'll change. That'll keep growing. What is compelling about it right now? What is sort of what can you do there that you can't do in the physical world or through a Zoom call? Right. So once you step in to the metaverse, it becomes abundantly clear how different it is. When I first held a meeting in this space, I was impressed how different it was than being on Zoom because I actually turned to people and talked with them and we shared documents around with each other and, and we could see our, our computers and see each other's computers. It was much more like being together physically. So that was a very different experience than Zoom, for example. The things you can do in the metaverse that you really can't do in the, the kind of offline world, the physical world, if you will will be things like 
visit getting engaging with people that you would never ever see otherwise that you'd, you'd never be able to work with otherwise um you can build businesses there that it would be very hard to build um, elsewhere uh, just for example the, the ability to reach customers and customize things into um to a, a, a visual space that uh, you're not going to get elsewhere so for example there are people who are building art in the metaverse that would be really hard to be able to build and sell in the physical world because the audience is so small but in this virtual world then people can buy pieces of it and people can share it easily so lots of things like that around the edges but that's where that's something to keep an eye on because anytime we have a a, a jump in technology Basically, what we do is take that new technology and do what we did before. At some point, though, someone says, hey, wait a minute, this enables a whole other world. And that will be what the killer app will look like, but we don't know what that is yet. Is this a disruptive technology? Yes, I would consider it a very disruptive technology uh, because it's going to take some of the today's tech giants and make them a lot less relevant. So, for example, if um, I were, were Facebook, one of the things I'd be thinking a lot about is what happens to my normal, what they call Facebook Blue, my, my normal Facebook platform in a metaverse world where in a metaverse world, people can take the content they produce and actually package it with other people's stuff. Or, have, or people can come up with their own algorithms for what kind of information do I receive? That can all be done in the metaverse. I can't do it with Facebook's uh, system today. So it's going to make those types of businesses less valuable unless they change substantially, which is always hard. So how does one engage with the financial aspects of the metaverse? Is it all cryptocurrencies and non-fungible tokens and fintech platforms? Or can you use, quote, normal money? It involves both of those, actually. So you will have some spaces that are very much using you know, dollars and cents, if you will, for their transactions. Um, but, I, but a lot of them are using their own cryptocurrencies. And they're using their own cryptocurrencies for several reasons. Uh, I think one of the main ones is that if you own... Sand, for example, which is the cryptocurrency for Sandbox. It's not easy for you to take that sand and go spend it someplace else. So it kind of keeps you locked into Sandbox. So you've earned some sand in Sandbox. You're probably going to spend it there too. So it's, it's valuable that way. And so that cryptocurrency serves as kind of a barrier to exit, if you will. Um, so people will do that. And then we also see some rather innovative ways for people to borrow money. Uh, for people to, um, uh, to, to engage in, in other types of, of fintech services, insurance, et cetera. So there are things you can do in that space, at least today, that uh, is a little hard to do in a traditional economy. It sounds like there's some sort of lock-in effects with these currencies being tied to particular platforms. Do you think regulators are likely to push to make these platforms more connected to prevent a monopoly from emerging? Well, I'm sure there'll be a regulatory push for that, uh, whether they, they argue monopoly. Well, they probably will, actually. Uh, they probably will argue that. But what I would hope that they would keep in mind, that 
creating a space that has value in it because you have this kind of barrier to exit makes that space profitable and makes you more likely to build it and makes it more likely for you to improve it. If you can't profit very much from building a great space, then chances are you don't build it. And that might lead us to more monopoly than less monopoly. Or a, or a, a government-created metaverse. Oh, absolutely. Which you know, would be quite frightening, actually. As someone who's, you know, I was an early sort of Oculus uh, adopter. So I sort of know what it's like a little bit to be in that, in, in that world. Can you spend a lot of time in that sort of, you know, virtual reality world? Are you able to tolerate it or is it perfectly fine? I don't spend much time in a virtual reality world. You know, my world is analyzing issues, and um, I don't necessarily need to have three-dimensional visions to do that. But I do value that ability to step into that space and meet with people, talk with people that I wouldn't get to otherwise. So, for example, this small little metaverse think tank we put together includes people from Boston, from California, from Washington, D.C., from Florida, um, and we all just get together and we're able to, to talk on a moment's notice, talk about what we've just learned, what we've been up to, what we think we're, we're going to be doing next. And it's pretty valuable to us. Is this a lightly regulated universe right now? It is right now uh, because, frankly, it's just moving too fast for someone to step in and try to regulate it. I think that holds some people back. I would be concerned if, if governments did try to step in and regulate at this moment. So for example, one of the things I'm trying to think about is there's a lot of interest in creating new privacy regulations. And there were building those based upon a paradigm of social media and, and Google search. Uh, don't know if that applies in a metaverse, but if we pass these laws, do they stop people from being able to engage in the universe. So if these were U.S.-oriented laws, for example, does that mean the metaverse actually grows someplace else if our laws don't match that future? So right now, each version of the metaverse is being run by an individual company? It's a mixture. So there's always uh, a, a group of individuals probably forming a company that establish a metaverse space. And, and they design the software, they design how that software is going to work. And the way I think about it, it's kind of the physics of, of their, their space. These are the immutable laws. You can't change these. There's gravity there. You know, there's, you know, things have dimensions to them. But then they also have, not all, but some have what they called, uh, called DAOs, decentralized autonomous organizations. And these are people who generally own some property in that metaverse that space of the metaverse. And then they help establish what some of the other laws are. They might establish laws, for example, on how commerce can happen, on how you can, what kinds of naming the things you could use, what kinds of businesses you could do. But what are they gonna do with information that's gathered, privacy type issues? Um, so there's, there's both that, that kind of, there's a physics that's written by the companies, but then, you might think of it as uh, how colonies and, and countries formed over the past few centuries, all these experiments of different forms of governance, and we'll see how they work. It seems like it'd be difficult for government to regulate this since it's a quickly evolving space. Is it just still too new for government to do much? And are regulators even really paying attention? 
I don't know how much attention people are paying it are giving it at the federal level. So I, I can't really answer that. Um, I, it does worry me some that people would step in. So, you know, you and I live in the United States. This is a country that formed from people largely who couldn't get along in other countries. We didn't like their laws. We didn't like the spaces they went in. So we came and our ancestors came and formed, formed this country. Um, you know, that, that could be true for the metaverse as well that we'll see situations where if a, a traditional legacy government tried to impose regulations on a metaverse space, people could just end up going elsewhere. There used to be lots of search engine companies, but then there was a narrowing. Will we see the same effect with the metaverse dominated eventually by just a few big players due to network effects? That would not surprise me that there would be just a few large players. Almost every industry gets there. That's a Pareto's principle, right? That uh, there's, there's always this kind of heaviness in, in just kind of one space. It's not necessarily true in the metaverse, though. Not that it won't be true that in particular places there wouldn't be a heavy concentration. But the whole metaverse may not just be, might not be just one space. It would be like saying that um, all sound is a marketplace and there's only going to be a few people providing sound. Well, that's not true because you've got all the different forms of music. You've got different kinds of, of talking. You've got music. You've got, or excuse me, movies. You've got all these different facets and in each one, there are people who are, are more successful than others. Metaverse can very much be that way. There will be a lot of specialized spaces with some big winners in those specialized spaces, but not necessarily for the metaverse overall. I think it was Peggy Noonan, the Wall Street Journal, recently wrote a piece saying they know kids shouldn't be allowed to use social media. And I can certainly see where that similar impulse uh, would apply to the metaverse. People are going to worry about, you know, uh, pornography or other sex related things. Who knows, you know, watching even though it wouldn't be real, you know, physical violence, you could see violence. How, how relevant are those kinds of concerns? Probably even more, more relevant than they were in kind of our traditional internet, because uh, it's easier for you to hide your identity. Now that you could do things in three dimension, do things more visually, you can be more abusive than you were in our traditional kind of just Facebook area, Twitter areas, et cetera. Um, and it's easy to have all the gambling and things like that that can go on. And it's hard to screen. So there's, there's potential for abuse here that people need to pay attention to. Although there are now also new mechanisms. So for example, if we're stepping into the metaverse and the main way to step into it is gonna be through three-dimensional goggles, some of those goggle makers are now including features that screen things, that are protecting privacy, maybe provide parents greater control than they would have had when everybody's using a laptop or a desktop PC to get into the traditional internet. Um, in, that, in that scenario, I, there's been all this criticism of the large technology companies, but as a parent, would you sort of feel more comfortable if it was uh, if you were going through a, a, a Facebook headset or something, rather than some sort of <laughs> headset from a company you've never you've never heard of that maybe doesn't have that they don't have those sorts of filters. Well, I would check out the headset very carefully, <laughs> and I may trust Facebook more than I would somebody else, or I may trust Apple, uh, which is reputed to be coming out with its own headset. I may 
may trust it. HTC has already released one that's very emphasized on uh, emphasizing privacy. So as a parent, I would check it out and make sure it worked. I'd read all the reviews, uh, but I've, I'm, I'm more confident that we'll be able to have those protections in that type of technology than we've had with our, our PCs. At this point, what advice would you give the lawmaker? Stay well-informed, uh, keep watching, keep listening, uh, resist the temptation to step in and say, I'm going to now take control of this because we're all overconfident that we understand this, this world that's changing and we're always viewing that future through a rear view mirror. So we're going to do it incorrectly. So be very careful um, hesitate and, and check yourself before you step in and try to pass laws and, and have some confidence that in at least some countries like the United States, we have a common law approach where the law can evolve as problems emerge. So that helps us a lot as well. And I guess that, that's the, the other thing I would keep in mind as, as well, that these decentralized autonomous organizations, these governing bodies, they're going to evolve as well. The ones that don't perform well, people are gonna exit that part of the metaverse. The ones that give people what they want, those protections they want, the safety to securities that they want, those are the ones that are going to attract people and attract commerce. And do you expect this to be a, uh, as with sort of the big technology companies, to be a U.S. focused thing, or are, are is this going to be a, a, a whether it be big global players, or or will it be America, or just America and China and Europe, you know, a distant third? That's to be determined yet. You know, we're moving into a space in the United States where a lot of our, our government officials want to take control. And that means that the innovations will move elsewhere. And some of the really interesting spaces are being developed elsewhere. There's one coming out of China that's pretty useful at this point. How long China tolerates that, we'll see. Another of the big ones is actually started by a couple of people, one from France, one from Argentina. And so they're working together. We'll see if, if the U.S. companies still have the freedom and the, the creativity to be big players in the future. My guest today has been Mark Jameson. Mark, thanks for coming on the podcast. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's my honor to do it. 